I can't help but think about that story in Ezekiel 37. The Valley of Dry Bones. I know that song's not about it, but my gosh. Ezekiel sees this vision of a valley of dry bones and God says, Son of man, can those bones live? And he said, you tell me. And he says, prophesy to the bones. Sometimes you got to prophesy to those bones. Sometimes you got to tell those bones, you're coming back to life. And then he says, I want you to prophesy to the wind. I want you to prophesy to the Holy Spirit. I want you to tell the wind, come from four corners of the earth, breathe life into these bones, that the slain may live again. Holy Spirit, we prophesy to you right now that dead will come to life today. We prophesy to those dead things in our life that they're no longer dead. That when they come in contact with the power of a resurrected Christ, the dead will come to life. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you just happen to come in here today and need a miracle, it's your day. Today's your day. Jesus is still in the miracle business. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He saves, He heals, He delivers, He restores. That song said He can do anything He wants to. I want to tell you this. He wants to. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to restore you. What we're going through... John chapter, the book of John really, and the seven statements that Jesus made, we're calling them the I am statements. Today we're on number five. Coincidentally, prophetically, whatever it might be, providentially, today's message is I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the resurrection and I am the life. So I was warned by the worship team. So two weeks ago, if you guys remember, Pastor Jay preached two weeks ago, and he got up after three songs, and they were supposed to sing four, and I'm up here going like this, and trying to like give him all these nonverbal stop, stop, you know, you're, it's not your time yet. And wouldn't you know it, guess who did it last week and didn't even know it? So before you pull out that, that speck out of somebody else's eye, right? So sometimes it comes back to get you. So I should have just shut up and let it go, and I guess we, we'll be okay. Did anybody notice? Nah. Oh, yeah, Christine noticed. <laughs> All, the, wives, the wives always notice. Like, I don't really need the Holy Spirit because I have Kristen. <laughs> I, she's actually working. No, I'm just kidding. I, I need the Holy Spirit. Trust me. I need the Holy Spirit, and you do too. All right, a little different teaching today. This passage, it's, usually I just take a few verses and really try to expound on it. Today, I am going to do a little different. This is 44 verses. We're going to read all 44, and I want to make three points as we go through. So I'll give those to you up front. 
Uh, but let's start, let's go to the first slide. I want to start with what Jesus says to Martha when she comes out to meet him as he's, as he's coming to her house. He says, this is where we get this uh, statement. This is John 11, and if you have your Bibles or your phones, you want to follow along, John, John chapter 11, we'll spend just about the entire time in that one text. John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Now, this is the first time that Jesus actually gives a couplet. All the other ones were single. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. So here he goes and says that I am the resurrection and I am the life. Because really, you cannot have a resurrection. The word resurrect comes from the Latin word resurgent. Re meaning again and surgent or surgere meaning to rise. It means to rise again. We get our English word resurrect. Same, same way in the Greek. It means to rise again. It means that you were up at one point in your life, and now you're down, dead, and you're coming back to that position of standing up again. And you cannot have a resurrection apart from having life. Like, if you take a dead body, and you stand it up, what's going to happen? Right? It's going to drop. Because James says in James chapter 2, verse 26, so, so when you see the word, let's talk about this for a minute. When you see the word death in the Bible, death really, in a biblical sense, means a separation. It means to be separated. It's having two things that become separate. So if you look at James chapter 2, verse 26, it says that just as the body without the spirit is what? Dead, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So if you take my spirit man out of me, my body will no longer live. When the two become separate, life ceases at that point. It's separation. The same thing's true in the spirit realm. So I know a lot of us think they look at we look in the mirror and they say, I know I do. Boy. You're a good-looking... No, I don't say that. You look in the mirror, and you think you see you. The reflection in the mirror is not you. That's not you. You can't be seen with natural eyes. See, the you that you see is just a temporary... Paul calls it a tent. And if you ever lived in a tent, that's not your permanent house. That's just somewhere you stay in for a temporary time being. Eventually, you can move from a tent to a home. And he says, Paul says that eventually this tent goes away and I get a new house, a building not made with hands, made in the heavenlies. So there comes a day when I get a different one of these. The real you is your spirit man. You're made in the image of God. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, your mind, will, and emotion, your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. And your spirit that possesses a soul just lives in this slab of flesh. See, my body really is only serves the purpose of allowing me to relate to this natural world. So when I pull the spirit man, the internal part, out of me, separation, death occurs. The same thing's true in the spiritual realm. We know that Adam, death first appears in Genesis chapter 2. God tells Adam, he says, uh, there's two trees in the garden. 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You can eat all day long from the tree of life. But the moment that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what? Die. So we know that Eve and Adam, they ate of that. And did Adam die physically? No, not till 930 years later. It says that he lived 930 years and died. But he died immediately spiritually. And where he died was, when he was created, God had Adam's spirit and God's spirit joined together. And when he died, those spirits are separated. And when you're born, you're actually born dead. Romans 5.12, it says that by, sin, by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, and for that all have sinned. So what that's saying is it says that because Adam sinned, and Adam was born separated from God, when you're born physically, you're born spiritually, you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't deserve it, it's just the way it is. You were born that way. So you, I, I really just want to take a couple of minutes just to explain that because this next few sentences won't make sense if you don't understand that there's spiritual death versus physical death. There's a spirit realm and a natural realm because Jesus goes on to say, He that believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So though he may die physically, he shall live spiritually. The Apostle Paul says, see, when you get saved and you accept Jesus, he actually, see, if death is separation, what's the opposite of death? Life. If death is separation, life is union with God. So what God does when you accept Jesus, he brings, gives you a new spirit, he takes up residence in your spirit, your spirit and his spirit literally become one. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he, or 6, he says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. So that death is separation, life is union. And Paul, or, uh, Jesus says that he who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And he whoever lives and believes in me, will never die. So if you die physically, you'll live forever eternally if you've made that decision. Well, you'll live for eternally somewhere, no matter what. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So this is that same word last week when we looked at Jesus as the good shepherd. And it says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And those that follow me shall never perish. Remember we said that word never is the Greek. Two Greek words mean that are ume, which is a double negative, which is bad in English. Good, good in Greek. Ume means never, no, never. It, it strengthens the form of the negative. And he says that he who believes and believes in me will never, no, never die. So once you've made that commitment, once you've put your faith in Jesus, once you've accepted Him, and He has brought what was previously separated and brought it to life and brought union between you and Him, remember, Jesus is all about the relationship. He said, once that takes place, you will never 
die, you will never separate, perish. He holds it all together. Right? Remember last week said, no one can pluck them out of my hand. So I want to look at three things today. We're going to look at this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I want to look at, first of all, resurrection purposes. Resurrection purposes. Resurrection passion. And finally, resurrection power. Resurrection purposes. Resurrection passion. And resurrection power. So a lot of times when we enter a situation or we're in the midst of a situation, we tend to view our situation from our viewpoint. How it affects me. How am I affected in this situation? Jesus, on the other hand, takes a multidimensional view and that he's not just looking at you, he's looking at other people that are involved in the situation in addition to you. And he somehow brings that together to touch every person involved. Isaiah 55.9 says that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That the thoughts that Jesus thinks are different than our thoughts. The, the, thing, the way he does things are different than the way we do things. So if you're like me, I think I'm always right. And if you don't believe me, ask Kristen. Because she thinks she's always right. And how many know that that doesn't make for a great, uh, a great solid foundation for a marriage? So we've really spent 25 years of counseling to get to the point where she said, you know, you're right about everything. <laughs> the other way around. I actually, I actually get the final word in every argument. Steer. It's the final word. It's the best way to end an argument. Jay, that's good for you, too. That might be a prophetic word for you. Yes, dear. <laughs> I receive it. All right, let's get started. Uh, John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, this Bethany, just let me just give you a little context here. This Bethany is Bethany that's about two miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus, if you back up just to the end of chapter 10, it says that uh, he left Jerusalem and went to the other side of the Jordan. So he went north about, and he's currently actually at another town called Bethany, and it's a different Bethany, and he's about 20 miles uh, to the north. It says, at the place where John the Baptist was first baptizing. So that's how we know where, where it was. So Jesus is about 20 miles away when this takes place. He's in one Bethany, they're in another. And it says, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So here we see Mary and Martha, if you remember uh, Luke chapter 10, at the end of Luke chapter 10, we see the story where Mary and Martha invite Jesus into their home. And we see two sisters that are very different in their personalities, right? You have Martha who is very, if you remember, she was cumbered about with much care, goes to Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all the work? And she's just sitting at your feet. How dare somebody do that? And then we have Mary, who was content to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. And then if you flip over, now, 
John goes on to mention this here. It says, it was that Mary, verse 2, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. If you go over to chapter 12, in the first three verses, he's telling this, but it didn't actually happen until a few days later. But we see that at Simon the leper's house, also in the town of Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, after he's raised from the dead, are at a dinner with Jesus. And we see that Martha, again, is serving, like she normally does. It says Martha served dinner, but we don't see the attitude she had before. So I've got to figure that a little maturity took place uh, since the last time. We do see Mary, the last time she was sitting at Jesus' feet, this time she's worshiping at his feet. She's pouring out costly oil, wiping his feet with her hair. And Lazarus, who is really, I mean, he's like Jesus' bro. He's like Jesus' good buddy. They hang out. They're friends. And Lazarus, he isn't doing either. He's not serving. He's not worshiping. He's just eating like some fried chicken and probably slugging down a couple slurps. And they're just hanging out. I don't know why the fried chicken and Slurpees, they don't even really go together. Anyway, I'm feeling like fried chicken today. I mean, it's, I'm getting hungry. So, it says, Therefore the sisters sent him, Lord, behold, whom you love. And this word love is phileo, a little different word, but it means brotherly love, friendship love. It says the one you love, the ones you're pals with is sick. So, let me just tell you this, is that just because you're serving Jesus, maybe you're a Martha, and serving Jesus is not bad. Just because you serve Jesus, or maybe you're like a maybe you're a worshiper. Just because you're a worshiper. Or maybe you're like Lazarus, who's just good friends with Jesus. You just have a good, palsy relationship, and you guys hang out a lot. None of those things make you immune from trouble in your house. So that you might be a worshiper, you might be a server, or you might be a buddy of Jesus, but it doesn't make you immune from issues and troubles and things in your life. Because here we see a family who has an issue in their house. Lazarus is sick. And so in verse 4, it says, When Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. So if they had cell phones back then, they probably would have FaceTimed Jesus. Probably would have let... Jesus! Jesus! Lazarus is sick. Like, he's really sick. He's really sick. Can you come? Okay. Hey, let's go down to the gun range and shoot some guns, guys. Amen. Let's go down to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Not today. Not on Sunday. We're going to petition that. No, it says Jesus. Now you would think, see, this is where Jesus' purposes don't always line up with our expectations. I have an emergency, Jesus. I know what you can do. I've seen you heal. I've called you. You love my brother. But you wait two days. 
It says, when he heard it, he waited. In the place where he was, then after this he said to the disciples, okay, let's go. Next verse. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Are you crazy? You cray-cray? Because you just left there, and they tried to kill you, and you want to go back for some more of that? They're like, we don't get it. Jesus said, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, does he not stumble? Because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Verse 11. So Jesus said, look, I only have so much time to do what I have to do. These things he said, after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Now we have two verses there, but it's a continuation of the same thought. Imagine that. Jesus gets a phone call that Lazarus is sick and he waits two days. And then after he waits two days, he said, okay, let's go, guys. Time to go. We're going to Judea. Why would you want to go there? He said, well, Lazarus is sleeping. I want to go wake him up. And again, like the disciples, they don't ever get it. They're like, oh, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up. Jesus said, he's dead, and I'm glad. Again, that doesn't fit my theology. Nevertheless, he says, but I'm glad for your sakes I was not there that you may believe. Now, the disciples were obviously believers, right? They believed in Jesus. They had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus cast out demons. They had even seen Jesus raise the dead. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead just a few hours after she died. Jesus even interrupted a funeral one day, the woman or the widow from the town of Nain. They even had her son in a casket, and he walks by and does one of these, and the guy comes out of the casket. So they had seen Jesus heal. They had seen Jesus deliver. They had even seen him raise the dead. But for some reason, Jesus was trying to create and stir and bring them to a different level of faith. It wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus, but I believe Jesus is calling them to another level of faith in what He can do. Because no one has ever been dead four days and brought back from the grave up to that point. And it never happened. He says, nevertheless, let's go. Then, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go also that we may die with him. Now, that's a typical, when you don't know what to say, just keep your mouth shut. What a dumb statement. Thomas like, oh, I don't know what to say, so I'll say, well, let's go with Jesus so we can die. When he gets stoned, we'll die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb four days. So Jesus is 20 miles away when he gets the call, which is a one-day journey, and he waits two days and then apparently left the fourth day. So if you do the math, Lazarus probably died not long after the sisters called Jesus. But Jesus, let's go to the next slide. When his answer is delayed or doesn't line up with your request, it doesn't mean that he didn't hear you or that he doesn't love you, but it means that he's got something bigger in mind for you. 
Bill Johnson says it this way. So if you like Bethel, you'll like this quote. If you don't like Bill Johnson, you can just skip over this part. But I love Bill Johnson. He says, when your prayer is delayed, it's gaining interest. When your prayer is delayed, it's gaining interest. So when, when, when Jesus' timing is different than my expectation, when his answer gets delayed, or it doesn't line up with what I was expecting to receive, it doesn't mean that he didn't hear you. Because it says, when he heard, he stayed another two days. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you either, because in verse 3 it says that Jesus loved Mary, Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Lazarus. It just means that he has something bigger in store. See, when they're praying, what are they praying for? Jesus, Lazarus is sick, come heal him. They're praying for a healing, which is great. But Jesus is thinking about a resurrection. See, sometimes we're praying too small. Sometimes we're praying for the lesser thing. And we think, if I can just get this, I'll be okay. But Jesus says, I'm going to delay that for a few days because I've got something bigger that will far outweigh the thing that you're asking for. And see, sometimes, sometimes he's trying to bring our faith up. What's Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 says? It says, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. Uh, let me look it up, because I just drew a blank. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto... Oh, man. That doesn't happen too often. That must be I hit 50. Either I hit 50 or God didn't want me to say that one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone believes to the Jew first and to the Gentile. And it goes on to say, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. See, faith is a thing that, that grows. Faith is a thing that we go from one level of faith to another. And see, it's real easy. Once God has met a need, I don't have any problem believing God for that. Once God heals me uh, of having a headache, I don't, it's not a big deal to believe God because I saw Him do it before. But when God raises the stakes... He's got to bring my faith to a level to where I can believe for the thing that He wants to do. See, He wants to grow our faith. He wants to raise our faith. We go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. It's a continual growth in the kingdom. See, too often we get satisfied with believing for God what He's always done in the past. And that's okay. But God's got bigger plans. God wants you to step into another realm of faith so that you can believe for a resurrection instead of just believing for a healing. Resurrection passion. See, when Jesus steps into a situation, He considers the pain that you're going through. See, a lot of times we just want to fix the problem. I'll just fix the problem, take the problem out of the... Get rid of the problem and everything will be fine. Well, most of you know, when you've had problems in your life, when you've experienced death in your life, when you've experienced periods of, of separation, 
of rejection, of hurt, of mistakes. There's pain that goes with that. Jesus doesn't overlook that. Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, which means that it's just a negative way of saying that He feels your pain. He feels it. He empathizes with it. He's been through it. He's like, well, you don't know what I've been through. I've been through hell. Jesus has already been to hell. And he didn't get a t-shirt, he got the keys. <laughs> I mean, you might say, I've been there and got a t-shirt. Well, he got the keys. He didn't get a t-shirt. So there's nothing you're going through that he hasn't been through. There's nothing you're feeling that he hasn't felt. And there's nothing you're experiencing that he hasn't experienced. And he cares. Let's go to the next slide. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, now now you can imagine, we're going to see that Mary says the identical same thing, but consider Martha's personality. Martha's probably like in his face, like hot. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And she probably had a little attitude, right? I, I, there probably wasn't a lot of humility in that statement. We don't have the luxury of hearing the tone of inflection, but I, I just got to imagine a little bit knowing her personality. Now, but she does here make a confession of faith. It says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. So Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, he says, Lazarus, your brother will rise again. So I... I know that she said that, and I believe she had a measure of faith, but when you see later in the text, when when Jesus goes to actually raise him from the dead, she's like, whoa, 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 he smells. He's been dead four days. The great thing about Jesus is although he wants to increase your faith, he will always meet you at your point of faith. So he'll never withhold from you because you don't have enough. It just takes a little faith. He wants it to grow, but he'll meet you with what you have. And he doesn't mind questions. See, he didn't say, so she came up and said, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. He didn't say, get out of here. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I can do what I want. He didn't say that. He said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus gives her a prophetic word. See, we do this a lot. She rationalized Jesus' statement. Jesus said, He will rise again. Oh, I know, in the last day. What she was saying wasn't untrue, but it wasn't the word that Jesus was trying to deliver her. See, we do the same thing. A lot of times, oh, I know that person will be healed one day when they get to heaven. See, too often, maybe because we had a disappointment in the past, or maybe because we prayed for something and it didn't happen, we tend to bring the level of God's Word down to our experience. We will take the standard 
of what God says is true, and to make ourselves feel better, we bring it down to our level of experience. Jesus, on the other hand, wants to take our experience and raise it to the standard of His Word. And when Jesus says He will rise again, He means now. He doesn't mean in the resurrection. Although that's true too. See, don't rationalize a word from God just because you don't understand it. See, real faith is the ability to walk it out in the midst of questions. If you understood it, it's not faith. See, I'll believe you, Jesus, but just explain how it all works. Let me rationalize it. Give me some logic in there. I want you to walk it out. I want you to trust me in the midst of misunderstanding and questions and not knowing all the answers. That's what He wants to bring you to. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question today. Do you believe this? See, Jesus asked a simple yes or no question. But the answer is eternal in its ramifications. Do you believe it? See, earlier in the book of John, John chapter 5, Jesus talks about two resurrections. He talks about the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. But it says that at the end of a thousand years, after that thousand year reign of Jesus on earth, everybody else gets resurrected. And when you get resurrected then, it's not for a trial, it's for a judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And you'll be judged then for your works, not for your faith. You'll be judged for your works. You don't want to be in that one. You want to be in the one before the thousand years. Next slide. And when she said this, these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with him in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary... Next slide. <clears throat> Rose up quickly and went out. They followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Now, I see Mary a little different. She falls at his feet. She probably has a little different tone. Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, I want you to remember this, because we're going to come back to it, groaned in his spirit. Jesus groaned in his spirit. That word means, it's actually, it means anger. It means indignation. The Greek word actually meant the snorting of an angry horse. Anybody raise horses, work with horses? I don't want to do it because I'll probably blow like snot or something, but they would like blow snot out their nose. Angry. And that's how Jesus is about this situation. He sees the pain 
that Mary's going through. He sees the pain of the people that are comforting her, and it angers him. He's not angry at them. He's angry at the source of their pain. And he wants to fix it. Let's go on. And he said to her, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. Then some of the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning, snorting, angry, indignation, came to the tomb. It was in a cave and a stone lay against it. See, I think it's interesting that Jesus gets angry at the enemy. Remember a couple weeks ago when I said that uh, I quoted a verse from, from Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. It says, uh, and, and he's talking to Israel, he said, God hates divorce because of what it does to the people. It says it puts violence on your garment. Not that God hates divorcees or God hates people that get divorced. He hates divorce because of what it does to people. He hates sin because of what it does to people. He hates death because of what it does to people. He hates addiction because of what it does to people. He hates anything that causes people death and separation and pain. He hates it. So a lot of times when we get into a situation, whether it's you or a relative, we get angry, right? We get mad at the devil. And we want to jump in and kick butt and take names later. We want to open a can of whoop on the enemy. And that's okay, and that has a time and place. But notice, Jesus didn't do that first. See, so often we go after the enemy, and while we're doing it, we trample over the person that's hurting. Because we're so consumed and so angry about what happened, we want to, we want to take it out on the devil, but in the meantime, we walk right over the person in front of us that's hurting. Jesus wept with them. Jesus mourned with those who mourn. Jesus empathizes with your pain. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus was passionate in expressing his anger toward the source of the pain, but he took time first to empathize with those who were in pain. Let's not forget about people. We've got to identify the source, and the devil is always the source. God does not send sickness. God does not send disease. No more than he wants sin in your life. It all originates from the devil. And it's okay to be mad at him, but not at the expense of people. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, I could have all knowledge. I could know all mysteries. But if I don't have love, meaningless. I'm a clanging symbol. It's pointless. Make sure you love people in the midst of their pain. Last thing. Next slide. Well, you can't talk about resurrection and not talk about power. Right? Because when the dunamis, the miracle-working power of God, comes into a situation, things change. 
Lives change. Marriages change. Situations change. Addictions drop. Bondages drop. All those things are broken in the presence of Jesus. Romans chapter 4 is talking about Abraham. Remember Abraham? He was 100 years old, had been carrying a promise of a baby boy, a miracle child for 25 years. His body was dead. His wife's body was dead. We serve a God that gives life to dead things. He gives life to dead things. He's in the business of making the impossible possible. That's what he likes to do. So don't ever think that my situation is different. My situation is too far gone. You know, I think God in the back of his mind had to think, I'm going to show them, I'm going to raise Lazarus after four days, after his body has already begun to decay. And I'm going to call this man back to life. And when I do, it's going to ignite faith like I've never seen before. Because if I can jump up two steps, how many believe I can jump up one? Anybody think I can't jump up one? Are you here? If I can jump up two, I can certainly jump up one. And if Jesus can resurrect a man who had been dead four days and his body was already decayed, there's nothing between a headache and a dead body that he can't do. And whatever you're in the middle of right now falls somewhere between the two. He can jump that step that you're on. He can raise you up again. He can bring you back to life. You just got to believe him. Let's finish the story. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. I, I got to love that we serve a Jesus that comes in the middle of your poo. You don't stink too much for him to get involved. He comes in the middle of that mess. doesn't matter how bad it smells. It doesn't matter how much decay has taken place. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You always hear me. And because the people who were standing by said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, say it, come forth. He calls a dead man out of a grave whose body had already been done decaying. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to him, loose him. And let him go.
So I want to pray for you today. A couple things I'd like to pray into today. Just a few minutes to do this. One other thing first. Come on up. Did you notice that God... Let's go back. Did you notice that Jesus incorporated the bystanders and the miracle? See, all the time we read this story, we see, Lazarus, come forth! But on the bookends of Lazarus, come forth, Jesus tells them to do what? Roll the stone. He could have just said, stone roll. Right? He could have just blew it open. You've been like Jim Carrey on, I got the power! And the stone would have just done this. What was that movie? Bruce Almighty, yeah. But he didn't. He said, hey, go roll the stone away. He calls Lazarus out. Now, a little difference here. When Jesus rose from the grave, He rose in a completely new resurrected body that came through the grave clothes, right? Because his grave clothes stayed in the grave. Lazarus comes out still wrapped up. And Jesus says, loose him. You loose him. You let him go. Jesus invites you into a partnership with him in the miracle business. He wants you to participate in somebody else's deliverance. See, He does the miracle part. I I can't raise the dead, but Jesus can. But I can lay hands on Him. I can pray. I can unwrap the bandages. He does the miracle, but He calls us to be co-laborers with Him. He calls us into that lifestyle. He calls us into a lifestyle. He told the disciples, He says, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You might say, hey, I don't deserve to be delivered. I don't deserve to be set free. You do because Jesus already paid for it. You've got to receive it. So I want to do a couple things today. I want to pray for... uh, If you've got a marriage issue today, I want to pray for you. If you haven't have any issue in your marriage, I just want you to stand up. It doesn't mean you're it doesn't mean you have a bad marriage. It just means you're like me and my wife for 25 years. We needed prayer and lots of it. But if you've got a dead place in your marriage, I want to pray for you today. Anybody here like that? I got one. Somebody else join them. If you've got a dead spot in your marriage, 
doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that Jesus wants to bring life to that dead place. If you're online, all right. I want you guys to participate in this. Stretch your hand out. Father, you're the God that calls the two become one flesh. You're the God that says, till death do us part. That until that time, there's union. And that union should look like you and your church. So Father, I call into this marriage a picture of Jesus in the church. I call submission. I call love. I call reciprocity. I call surrender. I call serving into that. Lord, that they would serve each other the way You do. The way You did. Father, heal it in Jesus' name. I stand against the enemy that wants division. Lord, the spirit of division, the spirit of fight that's come into there, I command them to leave in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. All right. If you're in bondage of any, 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 any bondage, Right now, I want you to stand up. Jesus will break it. Sexual. Addictions. Thought life. I battled a bondage to my thought life for 15 years. And Jesus set me free. Completely delivered me. Father, your word says that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. So in the name of Jesus, what the Son sets free is free indeed. Declare liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Holy Spirit, we call on you now to come into this situation, come in into this life. Father, we pray every bondage broken, every spiritual enemy go in Jesus' name. Freedom in the name of Jesus. One last thing. We'll go ahead and worship team, go ahead. If you need prayer for sickness, I want to pray for you today. We serve a resurrection, a, res, a Jesus that is a resurrected Jesus. If you need healing, today's your day. I want you to come up here right now. I should say this. If you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I, I, can't, I can't go on until I ask you, is there anybody here that doesn't know Jesus? You've never said, I need my sins forgiven. I want to receive forgiveness, completely know that I am His and He is mine. Anybody today? If you're watching online, you've never accepted Jesus, just say, Jesus, I accept the payment that you made for me. I put my faith and trust in you, and I believe you 
that you rose from the dead, that you died for my sin. Paid them in full in Jesus' name. All right, if you're sick, you need anointed with oil, on prayer for healing, I want you to come up now. We'll do that. If you've got to go, you're free to go. God bless you. We're going to close as the worship team finishes with the song.